0: Romans chapter 7, we are in this middle section. Paul has hammered the reality of life that you are alive to Christ, and therefore, because you are alive to Christ, you are alive to God, and that's important for you. But, Paul has also been a little harsh, I guess you could say, about the law. And I've told you my theory on this before. There is a long list of people that Paul sends this letter from, in chapter um, 15 and 16. And I am still convinced to this day that because we know that Paul doesn't do most of his own writing, but that he delegates that and he dictates his letters, what the ancient world called an amanuensis. What we call now is they, somebody just took dictation, you know, and wrote it down while Paul was talking. I still have this mental image of Paul sitting in the room, just spouting this off while somebody's writing it down really fast, and then people stop him, asking questions. <laughs> but doesn't that mean, oh, that's going to be another chapter. You know that, right? You know, 2,000 years from now, people will be arguing about this if I don't include it. So, all right, let's include it. And then they stuck it in the Bible, and you know what we do 2,000 years later? We argue about it anyway, (laughs) because we will corrupt everything, go us. So Paul has been pretty harsh in regards to the law. We have tried to put that in perspective, but humanity would never take something out of context and corrupt it. Insert eye roll here, right? You know, roll your eyes so hard your head falls off. So we need to answer our questions about the law. What did the law do? What does the law do? And how do you see that now? So, you are entering into a sermon that is going to be an entire exposition on basically the parts of Leviticus you never read. (laughs) That should be fun, right? You can insert your own eye rolls here. But no, we will have fun with it. It will be joy and we will learn something. Let's dive into verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? may it never be. So this is one of those obvious realities. I like how you guys are actually picking up on the fact that whenever Paul asks you a question, the answer is no, doofus. (laughs) Of course not. That's why I'm asking the question. But you can't just throw this out there and assume, which is one of those things that I always warn you about the world. Yes, the world is going to tell you some insane things that you're going to hear and go, that's just ridiculous. How do you people not understand this? Well, the problem is, the rule of life that like, good teachers have is that if someone has a question, you want them to ask it, because if one person in your audience has that question, there's a pretty good chance that multiple people in your audience have the same question. So you want to deal with it. So if you see some insanity of the world, and you go, well, that's insane, no one could possibly believe that. There are instructions on your hairspray that tell you not to drink it or spray it in your face, okay? Okay. Always remember that they have to put the warning on the bleach that you're not supposed to do shots with it on the weekends, all right? These are important things you have to remember about humanity. We will corrupt anything, not some of the things. We will corrupt all of the things. So we have to get the why here, and that's where the rest of this comes into play. Excuse me. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. So this is a reminder of what we've called, and well, not what we call, but what is called the first use of the law. The law is actually good for you because it reveals your sin. So refresh your course, three uses of the law. First use is revelatory. It's the mirror aspect, holding the mirror up to yourself. It shows you that you are a lawbreaker. So the law of God reveals your sin. The second use of the law is what we call the civil aspect of the law. The law is put in place as a curb upon society. So you make it illegal to steal things so that people won't be afraid to do what? Steal your stuff. Does that cure everything? No, but in general, if people are not interested in going to jail or being punished by the punishments of the law, they will attempt to refrain from breaking said law. So the second use of the law is civil. The third use of the law is a sanctifying use of the law. It is a revelation of what is actually pleasing to God. What would righteousness look like? It would look like doing the things that God tells you you're supposed to do. Sometimes that's positive. Sometimes that's negative. So, like, like case in point, it's assumed in the command when you tell your kids to stop running in the living room that they should do what in the living room? That they should walk. So when you say, don't run in the living room, does that mean skipping is okay? No, you little Pharisee. It means stop running and you should walk. doesn't mean do handstands. It doesn't mean do cartwheels. It means you should walk. So you're giving them a command on what they should do by telling them what they shouldn't do. And if they're not being complete smart, Alex, they would understand that, right? See... How, I pray you don't have kids and grandkids who are like me because I was always the loophole person. Like, so you told me what I can't do. So does that, incove, does that mean it covers all of this? Okay, it doesn't. Well, then you need to specify this. Welcome to why your law, law books in the modern world are all like this big. Because you tell people, like, you can't drive through that intersection. Well, but what if I do it really slowly? Okay, you can't drive really slowly through the intersection. What if I do it really quickly? What if I signal? What if my flashes are on? Oh my goodness. That would be the third use of the law though. Revealing what is to be done, what is righteousness. Now, you need, in general, the first use of the law because what is true about humanity? Go back to Romans 1. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, that's, the worst. that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is not that we know what is wrong and we do it anyway. It's not that we see other people doing what is wrong and we commend it. It's that we ultimately lie about it. And this is why the necessity of the law. The law removes the excuse. You don't get to look at God on judgment day and go, I, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to kill people. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be lying. I didn't know it was a bad thing to cheat on my wife. I had no idea. Well, we wrote it in a book, dude. Like we, we put it down, like every human society has followed this and known this. You knew, and you know that I know that you knew, and so stop lying to me. This is the advantage of the first use of the law, is it removes your excuse, which is why it's a mercy. That's why the law is not sin and why the law is ultimately a good thing. It's a mercy from God to not be left in your own ball of lies and deception. Because, let's be honest, human being, where would you live I mean, where would you live? You just love waking up in the morning and trying to think about all the bad stuff you do, don't you? Isn't that the best part of your day? Best part of waking up is finding sin in my life. Sorry, I can't rhyme it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's okay. (laughs) This is, I mean, case in point would be something like when we went through Job. Here's a great quote from Job. It's in chapter nine. Part of Job's lament, though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. If, if you were righteous, would your words be condemnation to you? No, that's a little oxymoronic. And if you were guiltless, would the righteous just judge of all the earth condemn you as guilty? No, but what is Job doing? He's lying to himself. When is that lie undone? When God shows up and he actually is confronted with who God is, and he's like, my bad. I'm going to go sit in the corner and shut up, and I'm going to let you talk because, uh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> It's 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 that um it's that Mount Sinai experience. God shows up in the center and goes oops. <laughs> I didn't think this one all the way through. This is why you need the law. This is why it is not an evil, and it is not part of sin. Paul's going to expand on this, because, and he's going to expand on this because he's been consistent on this from the very beginning. So if you go back to like Romans 2, when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law unto themselves. Meaning, stop. The reality of God, because God is the maker of heaven and earth, is the reality for humanity. This is why when we talked about this section in um, Romans 2, We talked about this when we went through the Ten Commandments way back when in Exodus 20. There's really not, on any mass scale, a human society that tries to violate the standards that God lays down in things like the Ten Commandments. Like, you might find some, like, weird cult living out in the wilderness somewhere. Well, but not in the wilderness at this point. It's, it's basically Northern California, isn't it, at this point? like You find some weird cult in Northern California. be like, No, 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 no. Adultery is good, and we will practice it. Okay, there's like eight people, and all of them are weird. There is no major human society that can function for any long-term period that does not try to protect marriage. Likewise, there's no society that can function for any length of period on any scale that does not protect the sanctity of life, the sanctity of truth, or the sanctity of property. I mean, what happens to your society when we go, no, 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 it's perfectly fine to steal from your neighbor. We're living that experiment right now. It's called Portland and San Francisco. Have you seen the news? What's happening? Insurance brokers are like, yeah, good luck with that. Stores are eventually doing what? Yeah, we, we can't supply you stuff because you people keep taking it. <laughs> see, see, we have goods that we paid money for, and you want the goods, but you refuse to give us any money for the goods, and then you take our goods anyway. We can't just keep paying money to stock the goods. See, society breaks down. The store leaves, and now where do the people get their goods? It's like we stole all the stuff, and now we're out of people to steal stuff from. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> you, in order to have a functioning society, you have to have an understanding of God's law. Why? Because that's how God built the place, it's, it's, it's like part of the owner's manual. It's not a design flaw. It's a feature. It's how this works. So, of course, Paul is consistent on this. You can go back to a letter he wrote previously, Galatians 3. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may, so that we may be justified by faith. And part of the reason why Paul has been consistent on this is, one, the reality that God has put in there, but the reason why this is the reality of existence is because this is the function of for a sinful society to see their, see their iniquity, to see their sin and go, you know what we need? We need some sort of mechanism by which this sin can be undone. We need some mechanism by which men will stop craving the things the law has told them not to do. And then Jesus goes, um, um, hello, hi, over, over here. Hi, what you doing? This way, this way. Which is what? What are you pointing the world to? What are you pointing yourself to daily? Every look you take, every look at you, take at yourself. Take what? 10 looks at, at Christ, at the work that the Savior has accomplished. This is your joy. There is one salvation from beginning to end because, again, this is how God has designed the place. Go back to the Prophets of the Old Testament, Micah 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What would that look like, Micah? How do I do justice?" Not murdering, not lying, not stealing, not bearing, um, you know, not coveting. How do I walk humbly? Not coveting, being satisfied with the things of God, honoring the Sabbath, worshiping God, treating him as holy. I mean, this this is what it would look like to do all of those things. It would be to say, you have told me what I should not do, and by looking at what I should not do, I see your righteousness, and I know instinctively now what I should do. That's the function here. That's what Paul is getting on about. This is what the law produces. Now, unfortunately, because we're sinful, and sinful people corrupt everything, this good thing that God has given, guess what we do with it? Yeah. Verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. It's like looking at your children and going, those cupcakes don't eat any. I made them for church. What did you do the rest of Saturday afternoon? Walked up to that little cake pan, you know, little smudges on the glass. Or when you go to the grocery store and they used to have that, remember the bakery sections when they actually used to make the stuff fresh and put it out there and be like, no, you're not getting any of that. We're going to go buy the cheap bread in the aisle. You just walk by the bakery, <laughs> you know, leaving drool marks on the glass as you go by. Poor, some, some poor soul's got to come behind you and clean that. Now, where does that come from? comes from the same place I warn you. Like, how many of you taught your kids and grandkids to lie to you? And everybody has had a two-year-old at least once do what? Yeah. And you look at the kid and go, well, who taught them that? They did. They learned to themselves. You know, if I don't tell them the bad thing I've actually done, they may never find out about it. Now, granted, the two-year-old's not good. Did you eat the cookie? You know, chocolate smears down the side of their face. Two-year-olds and my mother-in-law, to this day, chocolate smears every time they eat any kind of chocolate of any kind. You think I'm kidding. My, my mother-in-law is 60-something years old. To this day, if she eats an ice cream bar that she loves, it's like... Looks like somebody did Joker makeup for Halloween. But that's neither here nor there. So the two-year-old says what? No, I didn't eat the chocolate bar. Why? Because I wasn't supposed to eat the chocolate bar. I know you told me not to eat the chocolate bar. I know it was bad to eat the chocolate bar. But I ate the chocolate bar anyway because I really wanted it. It was yummy. But I figure if I don't tell you what I did, you might not actually find out. And that, unfortunately, doesn't go away in humanity, and that's the reality that's going on here. Sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. My evil is me. Go back to uh, what we covered last week. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Um, Go back to chapter 5, what the need is. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So again, the law is not at fault here. The law is not at fault here, if I could speak English. I am. I'm the culprit. What has been true going back to the beginning? Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now again, the intent of the thoughts of his heart. Not because you ate the chocolate bar, not because you ate the cupcake, but because you did what? I wanted to. There's the sin. You told me not to do it and now what do I want? I want the thing you told me I couldn't have. Like when your parents gave you a bedtime, what did you want to do for the rest of your life? You're going to bed at 8. How about 8.02? 8.03? 8.01? 8 o'clock and 35 seconds. Remember then like the one time you got to stay up till thirty and you couldn't make it to the end of the show? And you're like, I'm awake. I'm awake. I promise. <laughs> and now you're an adult and you're like, can I go to bed at 8 o'clock? Is that, 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 that's okay, right? <laughs> like, like you didn't want nap time when you were a kindergartner. Now that you're 40, what do you want? Can we have have nap time in the middle of, like, can we do lunch, nap, and then we'll have coffee, and then we'll finish the rest of the workday? That would be awesome. I mean, high school kids, what do we want? Let's just take third period and make it what? Nap time. (laughs) See, the law is good for you. (laughs) You should have taken the nap when you had the chance. Now, the rest of this is important. For apart from the law, sin is dead. How? 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. See, the legality hasn't changed just because you didn't know the law. What has changed is your ability to lie about it. This is why the law seems dead, because you don't care. That's what I always tell you. The, The pagan who does not care about God, does he care about his sin? No, because he's lied to himself, he has calloused his heart, he has hardened his soul, all of those analogies, and he says what? This is good. I have declared it good. That's why Isaiah 5 has to warn you. Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. Because that's what we do. We've lied to ourselves about what is good. And believe me, you want to see what this is? Go watch the news for five minutes and you will see what? Myriads upon myriads of people who have done what? Lied to themselves about what is good. Because they have convinced themselves. No, 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 no. This thing that every human society since the beginning of time has known you should stick into the corner. We have said what? This is wonderful. I mean, great historical example of this. Um, Don't you just love that we make like actors and TV personalities heroes and give them gobs of money? Like you rewind to the pagan Roman emperor empire and you you do realize like senators couldn't be seen in public with actors because they were considered to be the dregs of society. (laughs) They were considered just below the bottom of the barrel. Why? They lie for a living. And anyone who lies for a living should be what? Should you listen to them? Should you take their advice? Should you even hang out with that person? No, they lie, constantly. You can't believe anything about them and if you're willing to associate with that person, what does that say about you? Instead, now our politicians are the actors. (laughs) I'm not gonna get on that soapbox, I'm not gonna do it, I'm gonna behave myself. What does it say about our society though where we exalt that sort of thing? To borrow the politician example, what does it say to ourselves that we look at, this, look at some of these guys and go, yeah, but this one lies less than that one. Like, what kind of standard is that? This guy's less evil than that guy. Oh, go team. Why do we do this? Because we've convinced ourselves that our hope is here There's something that benefits us in this exchange. And because we have walked into such a broken culture that we have created because we have exalted sin and ignored it, that we are left with these decisions that we're unwilling to part from. But I've told you before, one of the most dangerous phrases in human history. Something must be done. The minute someone tells you that something must be done, I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again, you get mad at me if you want. The minute someone says that something must be done, stupidity is about to abound. Because when something must be done, what will you accept as that something? Almost anything, almost anything. It's the same thing when somebody goes, there ought to be a law. No, there shouldn't, we have enough. <laughs> Let's get rid of some of the ones we got and, and like actually let people uh, pursue righteousness for a change, what do you think? Why is that the problem though? Because we say that we've got to do something, we abandon our standards, we abandon our methods, we corrupt everything just just for the sake of saying we accomplished it, go team, we did this, aren't we awesome? And it doesn't matter what side of any aisle you're on, nobody's thinking, nobody's evaluating, we're all just doing. And then it's like when you were a kid and you told a lie, like, who are you going out with? Oh, I'm going out with so and so. And you weren't going out with so and so. And well, where did you go? And now what happens? By the time your three lies in, what do you remember about the first one? I don't know, because it wasn't what I actually did. This is the world you're in. You made the bad choice here, and then you tried to cover it up by making this bad choice, and then you tried to cover it up by making this bad choice, and soon what what are our options? This is why... This is the power that the law has. This is the produce that sin corrupts with. Is it looks at you and goes, well, lie about that. We'll pretend it's okay. And then once you've gone down that road, you're now looking around going, how in the world did I get here? Now, again, Christian, when you're in that spot, what's the cure? Just stop here. Get back to the beginning. Get back to Christ and then do what? We start again. Get back on the highway. Move in the right direction. This is the hope. This is the joy. This is, again, this is the encouragement Paul had given, Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now pause. How in tarnation do you sow to the spirit, Christian? Is that possible apart from Christ? No. So evaluate what are you doing? What foundation is it coming from? And what are you hoping to accomplish? In other words, why are you? Why do you exist the way that you do in this world? What are you attempting to build? You're evaluating all of the things. And the minute you find one of those out of whack, well, again, kill it, fire the whole bit, you know the routine. Why? Because you found the sin. And the iniquity and the sneakiness of sin is that, again, does Satan come dancing in in a unitard with little horns and a pitchfork going, follow me, we're evil. No. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Because you look at this and go, "Well, I've got to do something." Maybe. What's your Christian example for how you live? What are What are all What are? Think through all of the examples in the way that Paul describes Christian living in the world. What are all the the comparisons that he makes? A ship with an anchor, a tree with deep roots, a home that Jesus. What's one Jesus uses? A home with a deep foundation on rock. What do all of these things have in common? What don't they do? They don't move. Ships with good anchors aren't supposed to be drifting around in the ocean, are they? Trees with good roots aren't supposed to be flying around the swamps. Homes that are built on solid rock with deep foundations aren't supposed to be drifting away in floodwaters. These things are all not moving. When we look at ourselves, we have to do something. Standing right here? And resting on Christ is doing something. And sometimes that's the most important thing. The lie is that we have to get into the muck and the mire. We have to get dirty with them in order to be like them so that we can pull them out. No, no, no. There are times when you have to stand on the outside and say, This is the good place. Get out! And when we lose that, we lose the truth. We lose the effect that sin has. And we forget what has actually saved us, who has actually saved us, and how we actually stay there. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. Again, here's the great problem of humanity. Our use of the, our use of the law and how we lie to ourselves. Again, how could you be possibly be alive from the law? Because you didn't care, and you were lying to yourself about what? I am a good person. Then the law shows up and tells you what? Never mind. Oh, but ignore that law. Well, you're just not using that correctly. See, if you've got to use it like this, what did the Pharisees do? We're going to take that law of God, and we're going to ignore how it reveals our own hearts, and instead, we're going to make it an outward expression. We're going to use it incorrectly so that the thing that was supposed to be a bludgeon to smack us upside the head will become a bludgeon to smack you upside the head. Aren't we awesome? This is great. We've taken the sledgehammer, and instead of doing this number, we're doing this number. Aren't we awesome? No, no, we're not awesome. This is the brokenness. This is why Paul tells you, 1 Timothy 1, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, which is why I always remind you of this. To whom did God give the law? What kind of people? A redeemed people. And yet in their flesh, what are they? rebellious and lawless. Remember, ooh, three weeks in a row I get to give you fancy Latin. You should know it by now. Simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified yet sinning. To put it in our bad equation from way back, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You have been declared righteous in his courts, but you are still doing what? Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are being saved. And the hope is that where I am weak, He is strong. Where I have failed, He has succeeded. Where I am sinful, He is righteous and pure. And there is coming a day when I will be made like Him, and in His righteousness I will stand, and I will be saved in that day. That's the hope in which you live. And that's what the law is trying to show to these people. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men, this is who the law is for. um, sorry. Immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So Paul basically like, I am out of things to list. There is more that could be said, but you know what? You will know what it is if you know the truth. And when you see it, run, throw the hymnals, scream, there's a warning to others, get out, right? So again, where are the righteous people? Paul's already told you in Romans 3 that there are none Who do good, none who seek after God. Why? Because he can quote the Old Testament, because he recognizes the reality of humanity. So what now? Verse 10. This commandment, which was to result in life. Now pause for a second. This was always the point of God's law. Leviticus 18. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Now pause for a second. Again, go back to who Moses is talking to. That's Deuteronomy 30. These are people that have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't take the good land that God gave him. God said, here's the land. Go take it. I will go before you. I will fight for you. The same I who wiped out Egypt. Remember the big bad on the block, the one who nobody could conquer, the one who nobody wanted to go to war with. I wipe them out to demonstrate my power. And now here are the lesser Canaanites at war with each other. You do it one city at a time, sweet Jesus, knock it all out and it'll be good. And the Israelites went, but they're tall. All right, 40 years around the mountain, we're doing this again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And And Moses, despite his own sin, despite the sin of Aaron, despite the sin of Aaron's children, despite the sin of their sister Miriam, you know, basically everybody who should have been good leadership for Israel was like, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We got this. No. And Moses at the end of this says what? Choose life. And you're like, we can't. We can't choose life. That's exactly the point. All of that law, all of those standards should have been a revelation to what of this people that God has redeemed. That we're still broken and we're still sinful. You know what we need? We need the bronze serpent lifted up. We need what the tabernacle is pointing to. We need a better sacrifice. We don't want to do these sacrifices every day. We need something else. We need something that actually cleanses, that actually redeems, that actually makes us whole. We need God to do this. And that people should have then rejoiced that God has still redeemed them and that God is giving them a good land. And they should have looked at this law and said, because of the work that you have done, I will flee the sin and iniquity that this law is demonstrating. And I will cling to you. And yet, what did they do? Because we'll corrupt and lie about what? Everything. And this has been the human condition from the beginning. This is the problem. And then we blame what? It's not me. It's not that woman you gave me. It's that law you gave me. It makes me feel bad about myself, and I don't like that. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you think I'm kidding. Have you seen some of the things that European countries are doing? You know, you said mean things online. In that Facebook post, we didn't like it. I mean, the English arrested a woman for praying in public. Then they went to somebody else's house and arrested somebody else because they said mean things on a Facebook page. You know, those were a little hurtful and possibly anti-Semitic, right? No, it wasn't anti-Semitic. What was it against? I can't remember what group it was against. It doesn't matter. It was mean, and it hurt somebody's feelings. Why? Because the problem is not that I'm soft. The problem is not that I don't like what you said. The problem is that you had those thoughts, and we will change them. We will corrupt and change and lie about everything. Psalm 1. See, at the end of the day, because we'll corrupt and we'll lie and we'll change the standard and we'll move the goalposts left, right, and center, Christian, you'd best anchor on what God has told you is good and on how he has told you that goodness is accomplished because it is the only sure standard. Where again, what's the metaphor here? That was the word I couldn't come up with earlier, metaphor. I had simile in my head and I couldn't get to metaphor. (laughs) It's like a tree planted by a stream. Where do you expect to find that tree 20 years from now? Planted by the stream. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't leave. This is what you're supposed to be like. How do you find this immovable, un- uncorruptible standard? By resting upon who God is and what he has said. This is what the commandment is supposed to do. It's supposed to result in life, to show you your sin, so you will cry out to God, so that he will redeem his people, so that you will then, by the power of his spirit, live in righteousness according to what? What he has laid down according to what righteousness would look like. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, again, what does that look like? Looks like honoring the Lord and serving him only. Not taking his name in vain. Not making an idol and worshiping some other thing. How does, how, how, what does it look like to love my neighbor as, himself, as myself? Not killing him. Not stealing his stuff and lying to him. These are good starts, aren't they? There probably should be more to that. But that's why, what is, what's the expansion Jesus gives you? How would you like to be treated? What should you do for your neighbor? Treat him the same way. So you go, well, but, but God, God, but I didn't kill him. And I didn't lie to him. Yeah, but you didn't help him. You didn't teach him. You didn't instruct him. You didn't disciple him. You didn't love him. This is why the standard that Jesus gives you is what? How will you know? How will the world know that you're my disciples? If you have love for one another. This is the commandment that is supposed to produce life. Because it's, re- it's revealing what? That God has changed who I am. And I no longer operate according to the course of the world. I no longer operate to the way that they tell me to live. I operate way the- according to what? The way that God tells me to live. But instead, because we're people that which should have been life proved to result in death for me. Why? Romans 3. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. Tell us how you really feel. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Which again, what's the What changes that? How do we get from death to life? It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. By the son of the bondwoman was... I'm sorry... But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. What's the point Paul's making? It's Galatians 3. You're not born in slavery when you are born in Christ. You are born free. Free to do what? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Free as the Holy Spirit has empowered you as your mind has been renewed to no longer live according to the course of the pattern of this present world, but to change and break out from that, to trust and live for him, and to honor him because he has empowered you to do so. So, since Paul has talked a lot about you, he figures he should talk about himself a little (laughs) <laughs> it's only fair. It's his letter, right? Get to talk about me. Now he's Toby Keith. I want to talk about me. You want to talk about I. <laughs> and then, I, because I only ever listened to that song on the, on the Chili's commercial, I want to talk about barbecue. Oh, my, oh, my. <laughs> Remember they used that for the ribs commercial? They got rid of the Baby Back song? C- come on now. I can't be the only person who thinks of life in jingles and bad 80s music, can't I? <laughs> for sin, verse 11. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, conceived me, and through it, killed me. This is what happens. Why? Well, because the work of Satan doesn't stop. What happened in the garden? He said to the woman, what? Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the answer should have been, no, he didn't say that. Get out. Why are you trying to lie and twist this? Unfortunately, we didn't say that. Why does he do that? Because He's a liar and a murderer. That's what John 8 reminds you of. This is what he's done from the beginning. This is what his children, his offspring do. They are his offspring because they live like him. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them, a whole, whole lot of them. And this is what sin accomplishes. It works hand in hand with its master. Genesis 4. If you do well, God talking to Abel, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. See, isn't that the fundamental problem? I have to master sin. But what's my problem? I am sin, basically. You tell me a law, what's my first thought? Like, have you ever given a kid a rule? Like, I, I always like to, I, I like to use kids because it's what? Kids and yoga pants are the two things that always tell the truth, right? <laughs> Sorry. It's actually kids and drunk people, but anyway. <laughs> uh, bad flashbacks. Years ago, I was, um, how old was I then? 20, 21, waiting tables in this restaurant. And we had, we had three grill men who worked in this restaurant, all of them were named Brian. What in the world are the odds of this? <laughs> and, not, and they could not have all been different from each other. But one night, one of the Brian's just showed up completely out of his mind, throwing his empty liquor bottles at the back of the restaurant. Now, explain this to me. I am 20 years old. I'm a college student. I wait tables. I'm not management. I'm not in charge of anything. I don't lead a shift. I make two bucks an hour plus tips. The, like, do you, you ever just have, like, there's people that just have weird things happen? This is Management grabs me and goes, hey, can you go talk to Brian and see if you can calm him down? Why is this my job? Well, t- t- well, what why, why am I the guinea pig, the sacrificial lamb here? I've joked with you guys before. Cameron will vouch for this. I am the person. I don't talk to people at the store. Because, you know how you, like, you go to the cash register and you just say hey to the cashier? And then you go, hey, how are you? Now, what's the next thing that happens in that conversation? They go, hey, how are you? And then they check out your stuff and you leave, right? See, that's what happens to normal people. When I say, hey, how are you? They proceed to tell me. And I don't know why. I don't even have to say, how are you anymore? I just have to say, hi. And they start going, hey. And then they start talking to me about their children and their nephews and their nieces and which kid went to jail and which kid's on drugs. And I'm like... Okay, um, um, here's some advice. I will pray for you guys, and I'm sorry. I mean, what do you mean to do? It's check out line of Walmart. <laughs> Go get me a bottle of water. We'll bless it and see if, you know I mean. <laughs> so yeah, that was my job one night with drunk Brian out back to get him to stop throwing the bottles and put them in the dumpster. I mean, just random things. So no, this is not what's supposed to happen. This is, this is the brokenness of the world. And no, I don't know where we started for that. <laughs> I am lost. I don't know what's going on. That's right. You have to master sin. What's the problem, Abel? What's the problem, human being? Is your sin is not something that's outside of you. Your sin is part of you. And you can't master you. You have to be what? Now you understand why Jesus could look at Nicodemus and tell you you have to be born again. You have to, you have, to have such a fundamental change of being so that you can master sin, so that you can think rightly on the world. And the danger of that is Nicodemus, who should have known all of this Old Testament, is looking at him and going, but dude, how does that work? <sighs> what was the difference between Saul when he was a good king for like 20 minutes and Saul when he was an evil king? The spirit of the Lord was upon him. The spirit of the Lord left him. One of the saddest verses of the entire Old Testament is when Samson, breaking his covenant with God, that Nazarite vow over and over and over and over and again, when he finally just breaks it to the point that there's nothing left to break, the spirit of the Lord departs from him and he did not know it. Like, could you imagine living your entire life walking with God dwelling inside of you and then one minute it just leaves and you're like, is it breezy in here? Did somebody open a window? Like, what was that all about? That's what a seared conscience looks like. That's what a hardened heart looks like. And this is the difficulty. is yes, this is what sin does. It takes the opportunity and it kills you and it lies to you and says, this is a good idea. Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man. And in the end, that way leads to death. Because it leads to what? I've convinced myself it's a good idea. I've lied and misused the law. I've lied about what the world has said is good. And I've convinced myself that I am the cure to all of my problems. This is why I don't like... um, 12 step things because you know where they always turn you ultimately inwardly towards me I will make up my own god and I will make amends and I will accomplish this and look I'm not saying they've never helped anybody but they've never redeemed anybody either You want to change somebody's life change their mind by changing their heart This is why I don't like a lot of secular counseling because what's the joke about it Well give them the two or three visits and what are we going to start talking about Your relationship with your mother because <laughs> all your problems are in your past, and all of your broken relationships, and once, and once you've come to terms with who you are, you will be able to go out into the world as, as some realized self. You don't need a realized self. You need to change nature. You need to kill you, and I don't mean that in the physical sense. I mean that in the spiritual sense. Don't kill yourself, people. <laughs> Disclaimers of life, just like to tell you not to drink the bleach, you know. There you go. Our hope and our prayers should always be elsewhere, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. This is the hope. This is the wariness you should have in the world. This is the difference between living in the world, living for the world and living in the world. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Yes, because it came from who? God. Psalm 119, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to take a quick disclaimer because we have, we have this kind of time. Yeah, we have this kind of time. Remember what I have told you. I didn't start out with this, but remember what I have told you about the book of Romans. You cannot get to chapter 7 and forget Everything that has come before. This is why way back at the beginning I reminded you that Paul has been consistent on this point because there has been a consistent salvation in all of scripture. So the same Paul who is reminding you that the, com- the law is holy and the commandment is holy and the righteous and good is the same Paul who has told you that I have read that you are not good and that you need salvation by grace through faith, accomplished in Christ. That's what that entirety of chapter 4 was all about. And then the exaltation of this Christ in chapter 5, because you can't. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is not and never will be a, hey, you need to recognize your brokenness. You need to start following this, and maybe if you're good enough, Jesus might like you. That's, you can't do this. You can't recognize this. The world cannot recognize this unless they first have been born from above, unless they have had a change of heart so that they can have a renewed mind. Otherwise, you know what you sound like when you go out into the world? You sound like, um, oh, they went right out of my head. Oh my goodness. Who are, um, Cameron, help me out. Who are, the pe- who are the people? They protest the SBC every year. Um, that church in Georgia or Whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, they 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 protest the military funerals. Who are these people? Westboro, thank you. Oh, my goodness. That's what you sound like to them. You look at Westboro and go, look at these lunatics. It's kind of fun when you walk by. They got the little megaphone out, and they hold up the little signs. And you're like, I'm special. I got protested today. <laughs> of course, I'm weird, so... Um, You look at them and go, these people are out of their minds. They don't understand any of this. When you go out and try to get pagan sinners to care about their sin and follow God's law, they look at you and go, what is wrong with these people? They don't understand any of this. They have no idea how this world works. Because they've done what about their world? They've lied to themselves about it. They've corrupted themselves and everything that is true and good. And you come in with the truth and they go, what? So you can't change it from the outside in. You have to change it from the inside out. We preach Christ and him crucified so that they would know the truth and that that truth would then set them free. Then and only then do they look at this and go, oh, (laughs) got it. So this is actually a good thing to have borders and guidelines in my life. It's actually a good thing to know the righteousness of God and to actually have a standard by which I can define what loving my neighbor looks like. Because again, when left to my own devices, what would I think loving my neighbor looks like? <laughs> See, at heart, I'm a hermit. I've told, you that, I've told you guys this before. Like if it weren't for Cameron and the kids, I'd be like in some cabin in Alaska, like trapping meerkats or whatever they trap up there and, you know, you know, cooking over a little fire, trying not to freeze to death. That would be me. And I would tell myself what? What would be my lie? Because I have told myself this lie on numerous occasions. You know how I love my neighbor? By leaving him alone. I don't bother him. I don't annoy him. I don't make his life miserable. I stay out of his way. And that's how I demonstrate my love for him. What's the problem with that standard? You're laughing because you're like, good idea. (laughs) If only you had left us alone. (laughs) You thought it. I just said it. It's okay. What's the problem with that standard? It's not a biblical standard. Paul looks at you and says, What? You have to lift your brother up. You have to confront your brother in his sin. You have to win him from the darkness. You have to do all of these things. That actually requires what? Talking to him, being around him, knowing something about his life, actually being involved. You're actually supposed to gather with the saints. You're actually supposed to worship God in the community of his people. You're going to spend eternity with these people. You might want to get used to living with them now. Just, you know, just some FYI. <laughs> See, I can lie to myself and convince myself that what I think is good is actually what God thinks is good because I've abandoned the standard. That's why the law is holy because it smacks me upside the head and goes, look doofus, I know you like that and that's your utopia but that's not how this place is built. And while that might be good for you in the moment, you know what it's not going to be? It's not going to be good for you for the long term. I mean, case in point, um, we did a good job of lying to the world for years and years and years and we told them what? Marriage is evil. Children are a drain on your life, avoid it at all costs. And what have we produced in society in the last 40, 50 years? A society of people that are avoiding marriage, despising children, and making their lives all about who? And what has that done to our society? What has that done to our next generations? What has that done to the way we see our current generations? And look, if you don't have kids, and I know there's a lot of you in here that don't, that doesn't make you bad people. I'm talking about people who are intentionally forsaking God and forsaking the things of God so that they can live for themselves and unto their own righteousness. Sometimes things happen, sometimes decisions get made, but that's not, again, if I'm not talking about you, I'm not talking about you, don't take it personally. It breaks the society because we take the fundamental units, we throw them out, and then we go, look, 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 look what we've made, isn't it wonderful? Yes, we've made the cat lady. Go team! (laughs) We've made 28-year-old children who are guys, go us. I mean, if you, want, if you want a good laugh, go get lost in the YouTube rabbit hole. I always joke, like you ever do this on YouTube, like you watch a video because you're like, I need to know how to fix my coffee maker. And then they make a suggestion at the end and you click on it, and they make a suggestion at the end and you click on it. And then you're like, how did we get here? And you, yeah, there is an entire series, Cameron and I have done this a couple of times, of these groups of guys who are just basically encouraging you, don't don't marry, just date women, use them, never have children, keep all of your money. And to see the bitterness and the anger that they have, and to see the groups of people who tell them how wise and brilliant they are, is frightening. It's absolutely frightening. I I, I got to watch one argument, though. a Christian woman was having a debate with one of these guys. And she actually looks, she goes, well, you claim to be a man of principle and of discipline and of accomplishment, Why can't you discipline yourself to commit to one woman? And he's like, I'm just not built that way. (laughs) And the look on her face was just, (laughs) like, what do you say to that? Where, Where does that come from? That comes from a society that has seen a problem in how we treat people, and has said the cure is what I think would be a good idea, because it benefits who? And since it benefits me, I've decided that it's good for everybody. This is what forsaking of God looks like. And this is what it produces in real time and in the grand scheme of things. So Paul continues, therefore, because the law is holy, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. The law is not my enemy. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. How does the law restore the soul again? By revealing your sin, so that you'll cry out to God, so that he will redeem you, so that you will then live in righteousness according to what God has laid out. Always remember that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. In other words, because I'm seeking to follow after God and live for him and not for myself, I actually avoid the pitfalls and the snares of the idiocy of this world, and I actually find myself at a good end. Rather, it was sin. Yep, because that's where my enemy is. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. There's the summation right there, that sin would become utterly sinful. The law is good and righteous because it shows you your sin so that you will recoil in horror from your iniquity, so that you will cry out to God, so that God will redeem your heart, change your mind, and set you on a new path of sanctification towards his glorious kingdom, so that when you are confronted with that sin again, you would recognize it as what? utterly sinful. The lie would be undone so that you would walk in the truth and sin would no longer be this friend that you coddle, but it would be something that you reject and seek to kill with fire so that you will glorify the God who has loved you and redeemed you. And this is the hope and this is the produce that God has made. To forsake that would be to forsake everything that God is and everything that he has done. To forget that is to go out into the world with your ideas. There's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end that way leads to (laughs) To remember that is to ground yourself rightly, to be built up properly, to rest in the right place, rejoicing in the accomplished work that Christ has given, and then going to battle in the right foundations and attacking the right problems in the world. Always remembering who you are and where you stand and why you stand so that as you undermine the iniquity and sin you encounter, you are actually attacking its foundations and then building up rightly, discipling rightly with a Savior who can actually save. So let's pray.